It's great to be able to come out to the house of the Lord on the Lord's day, to be able to worship Him in spirit and in truth, to sing these songs and have these prayers, and I hope to be edif- that I will be edifying in my talk this morning as we share some scripture with you. Suppose that before God brought you to this earth, that He called you in and He said, I want you to write the rules for the earth. Rules for families, rules for employers and employees and government officials and the whole shebang. I want you to write it. You think you'd have been up for that? I think we'd shrink back, wouldn't we? And yet there's plenty of experts to criticize what God has written for us. Monday morning quarterbacks. You know, somebody said you need to walk a mile in somebody's shoes before you criticize them. Maybe we need to think about the great job that God had to write a book for us to keep us from destroying each other in our relationships and between countries. I'm going to speak on the subject this morning, it's not fair. Henry asked me Wednesday night what I was going to preach on, and I said, I'm going to preach on, is God fair? But I thought this was a better title. It's not fair. How many people on the day of judgment are going to, if they hear Jesus say, depart from me, are going to say, it's not fair. How many people already say, when they run into something in God's Word they don't like, they say, it's not fair, that's too narrow. The one talent man said, Thou art a hard man. He said, it's not fair. There could be many instances brought up as illustrations from the Scripture where people said it's not fair. I don't like it. Over in the book of Ezekiel, the 18th chapter, having a problem with these pages. Bear with me a minute. In Ezekiel the 18th chapter, and verse number 29, Yet saith the house of Israel, that was the Jews, Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? That's the charge that they brought against God. Your, your ways are not fair. That's what the word equal means. Another word that we find in the Bible a lot 
for equal is equity. That means equal. Webster says, equity, fairness, impartiality, justice, equal. It comes from a word that means level or smooth ground. We're all on a level playing field. That's God. That's the way God operates. God says to these Jews, You've got it backwards. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. Individually. Ezekiel 18 and 20, the Bible says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. The father shall not bear the iniquity of the son, neither shall the son bear the iniquity of the father, but the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. God said, I'm fair. Same chapter. God didn't hold Abel accountable for Adam's sin. I don't judge the fathers by the sons. I don't judge the sons by the fathers. Everybody stands on their own two feet. Before God. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 31 and 31, or pardon me, 18 and 31, cast away from you all your transgressions whereby ye have transgressed, and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore, turn yourselves and live ye. In Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, he said, Your sins have separated between you and your God. And that's what the Bible calls spiritual death. When we're separated from God, we're dead to God. And that's what sin does to us. It separates us from God. And so he's calling here upon these people that are criticizing him to cast away your sin. Don't defend it. Don't say it's right. Don't say God's wrong. Get it out of your life. Get rid of it. And make you a new heart and a new way. A loving heart. You know, when people criticize the commandments of God and say they're too hard... Did you know that every single, every single verse in the Bible is based upon love? It's based upon love. That's what God used as a basis for His rules. That's why Paul said in Romans, love is the fulfilling of the law. Jesus said the greatest two commandments in the, the, greatest two commandments in the law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Did you know that if you did that every day, you would never sin? That must be a pretty good law. If I love God, I won't sin. If I love my fellow man, I won't steal from him. I won't lie to him. I won't hit on his wife. 
think maybe God did a pretty good job of writing the Bible for us? I think he did an excellent job. But I want us to notice this morning that it's very easy for people to get in a mode, first of all, of selfishness. I want my way. And that grows into stubbornness. I'm going to have my way. And that's what gets us in trouble. God has always taught this precept in the Old and the New Covenant. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, He said that we reap what we sow. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And that law of sowing and reaping is true in the plant kingdom. It's true in the human kingdom. What we plant is what we sow. And if we don't like the crop we're getting, we need to change the seed. Because we're going to continue to get the same crop if we plant the same seed. Sin cannot be committed without pain. You can't sin without it causing you mental or physical pain. That's what it does for you. That's why God says stay away from it. When he said we reap what we sow, that shows us again that you're not responsible for other people's actions and they're not responsible for yours. But God will judge every man and woman on the last day. Anyone who accuses God of not being fair, they don't understand fairness. They don't understand fairness. Is it fair for someone to steal the stuff that's in my house while I'm at church this morning? No, that's not fair. That's why God has a, a, a law that says thou shalt not steal. Is it okay for people to walk up and just shoot somebody else, which is happening in our cities, our bigger cities, every night? Is that okay? Well, no, 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 that's not fair. That's why God gave these rules. Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, he said, Stand ye in the way and see and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein. Ask for the old paths. The paths that God laid out. The paths of righteousness. Ask for those. Stand in the way and see, and ask for the old paths, wherein is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Look at the blessing. You'll find rest, you'll find peace, you'll find joy in keeping God's Word. That's what you'll find. That's what you'll reap. And they said, 
We will not walk therein. That's stubbornness, folks. That is stubbornness. When you're going to do things that hurt you. In verse number 19, Here, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words nor my law, but rejected it. Do you know America's reaping what's being sowed? You say, you don't like what's going on. I don't like what I see. We're reaping what's sowed, folks. In verse 26 of this chapter, O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth, and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for an only son. Most bitter lamentations, for the spoiler shall suddenly come upon us. The prophet's telling them what's fixing to happen. How many of you remember your grandparents telling you that the world is getting worse? I can remember as a young preacher hearing a lot of old people say that, and I'd say, it's not as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. What did I know? What did I know? You know, as we read in Ezekiel, and he talks about the son not bearing being guilty of the sins of the Father and the Father not being guilty of the sins of the Son. We read about the prodigal son in Luke the 15th chapter who took his, demanded his inheritance and took his journey into the far country and wasted his substance in riotous living. He didn't like rules. He didn't like his father's rules. He didn't like to hear his father's rule. He wanted to get away where he didn't have to listen to that anymore. And so he went to where he thought the good life was. And after he'd spent everything and he had no friends and he had no money, he had no place to live, he didn't hardly have anything to eat except the food that he fed to the animals. The Bible says he came to himself. You know what that means? He finally got it. He got it. I had it. I had it pretty good, and I just didn't know it. That's what happens when we get with godly people, and we live and walk in godly ways. When you commit sin, you hurt other people. In fact, you hurt yourself by going against God. You hurt the one that you did an injustice to, and you hurt God because He loves you and gave you some rules based upon love to bless you, and you said, I don't want it. I don't want it.
A man has an affair. He hurts himself. He hurts the woman. And he hurts God. Another man gets drunk and gets in his car and goes down the highway on the wrong side and he runs into another car and he kills somebody. He hurt that person, he hurt himself, and he hurt God. That's the fruit. That's the fruit of sin. That's why God says... Don't sin. Jesus said in the book of John, I do always those things that please the Father. Why do we say He lived a perfect life? Why do we say that? That He's the only one that could be the sacrifice for our sins. Because He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. He said, I do always those things that please the Father. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, And he said, how we ought to walk and to please God. You know, if this was broadcast all over the United States today, and everybody heard it, and everybody got up Monday morning and said, You know, I think I'm going to do that. <laughs> Can you imagine how much better this place would be? It could be that way. If people weren't stubborn and rebellious. God wants to help you. God wants to give you a clear conscience and peace and joy in your life. But as long as people say, we will not walk therein. You rob yourself of that. You rob yourself. You know, all through Romans, Paul is reasoning with the Jews. And one of the main arguments that they were making is they were saying, well, you're, you're preaching this new religion. And you're making God a liar. Because He made a covenant with us Jews. And now you're saying He gave a different covenant. They thought they had a good argument, didn't they? They weren't a bit happy about it. They didn't want these Gentiles to be a part of their worship. No siree. I don't have time to go into some of those arguments that Paul made, but basically this was it. Look, the promise made to Abraham, that's where all of this started. The promise made to Abraham was in thy seed shall all families of the earth be blessed. That didn't happen under the old covenant because the Gentiles were no part of that covenant. That didn't happen because Jesus had not yet come. 
But when Jesus came, he fulfilled the promise that God made to Abraham right back at the beginning of the Jewish nation. And he brought a blessing to all families of the earth. But in his death upon the cross, he broke down the middle wall of petition between the Jew and the Gentile, and he brought them together in one body. And not only that, in Jeremiah 31, 31, through the prophet Jeremiah, God said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, when I will make a new covenant with you, not according to the one that I made at Mount Sinai. It's going to be a different covenant. And then we turn to the book of Hebrews, and whoever wrote the book of Hebrews goes all through that and quotes those prophecies from the Old Testament and explains them. This new covenant is for Jew and Gentile. It's for Judah and it's for Israel. It's for all families of the earth. God didn't break His promise. Whenever you see Paul going to preach, where did he go first? He went to the synagogue. Whatever town he went to, he went to the Jewish synagogue. That's the first place he went. And he preached Jesus there until he was thrown out and then he would go and he would find a place to preach to the Gentiles. Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. He said, no, I'm not, I'm not preaching anything different except the covenant has been changed and some of the commandments are different. That's what he's saying. In Galatians 3, he said the gospel was preached to Abraham. Boy, I puzzled about that for many years. He didn't tell Abraham to be baptized, did he? He didn't tell Abraham to... What's that mean? He told Abraham that Jesus Christ was going to be the Savior. And that we need to put our faith in Jesus and what He said. That's what He taught Abraham. And Jesus said to the Jews that were questioning Him, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it. He rejoiced to see it. Abraham was glad that I was here. And y'all seek, seek to stone me. Somebody misunderstood Scripture, didn't they? <clears throat> God gave His Son, His only Son, to die the most cruel death known to man to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. Is that fair? Wasn't to Jesus. Was that fair to you? Well, you say, I couldn't go to heaven without that. That's right. So are you going to tell me that was a bad thing? God had to give up His Son to leave heaven and come to this earth 
Is that fair? That's what he did for you. God gave us a way of salvation so that we could go to heaven. Is that fair? God told us what's going to happen on the last day. And there's a number of events going to happen there, and I'm just going to mention one of them. It's going to be a day of judgment. A day when we all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. It's appointed unto man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And we're not going to be judged for other people's deeds. But we are going to have to answer for our all. Is that fair? When he's asked us to do all of these things that are loving and, and we don't. Is it fair that he judge? I'd like to spend a good bit of time on this point, but I didn't feel like I had it this morning. If it's not fair to have judgment then we should never discipline a child. If it's not fair to have judgment, we should have no rules in classrooms. If it's not fair to have a judgment, we shouldn't have jails and prisons. If it's not fair to have judgment, we ought to let the criminals do anything they want to do. And that'd be total chaos. You see why God put these rules in place to have order in society, to, to get rid of the chaos? It's fair for God to judge. In fact, it wouldn't be fair for Him not to judge. Because He would be a judge that's letting all these people get away with all of this crime and everything else, disrupting society, and nobody would ever answer for any of that. Is it fair? As I said on the Day of Judgment, I don't expect people to say, this is fair. And that's what these criminals say. It's not fair! It's not fair! I want to be back with my family! It's not fair! It's fair because you didn't exercise self-control. And if you're not going to control yourself to the point that you're just wreaking havoc on other people, somebody's going to have to control you. There will be no sin in heaven. In Revelation we read, And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, when we become a child of God, He puts our name in the book of life. And if we behave ourselves, it stays there till the judgment day. Now, he threatens to take it out if you go to acting up. There will be no sin in heaven. 
One reason there'll be no sin in heaven is because the devil won't be there. The devil's here. He's alive and he's well. And Peter said he's as a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Alive and well. He won't be in heaven. Matthew 25, 41, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is prepared for those that love sin, revel in sin, wallow in sin, want to sin. That's what hell has been prepared for. And that's where the devil's going to be. That's where his angels are going to be. That's where his ministers are going to be. And we won't have to put up with him anymore. And he won't be wrecking havoc in our lives every day. And it'll be easier to be a good boy or a good girl. Because we don't have to put up with him. You know, people think that they can sin a little bit and get out any time they want. I think most people really believe that. I know I've had those thoughts before. Have you? I want to tell you, that's the devil's lie. The devil never told a bigger lie than that. Somebody says, well, it's just, it's just like crossing the road, getting on the other side. Folks, it's not that easy. Little sins become addictions. Addictions cripple and destroy people. Kill some people. You can't let sin into your life and remain. And it's not, it's just like a disease. And it just gets into you more and more and more. You know, sin's like that little piece of cheese in the mousetrap. Oh, it's innocent, it's little, but I want it. I got to have it. And what happens? When the mouse sticks his neck out and touches that, it trips the spring. And the trap explodes and breaks its neck. But it was just such a, a little piece. You know, Dan Hayes used to have a, have a saying that I liked a lot. He said, you know, that's like the mouse that got caught in the trap and said, you can have the cheese back. I just want out of the trap. <laughs> That's what happens when we get caught, isn't it? We want out of the trap. 
It sneaks up on us. It grabs us when we're not looking. Don't be deceived by this little argument. It's not a beefsteak, but it's deadly. You know, if you have sin in your life this morning, you may can get out of it by yourself, but probably not. Experiences tell us that the longer people stay in sin, the harder it is for them to get out of it. I want to tell you, if you've got sin that's hanging around in your life, you really need to get help. There's no shame in getting help. When we get sick, we get help. When our car breaks, we get help. When we have all these different things happen to us that are negative, we get help. Help to get away from Satan. It's not easy. Folks, it's not. If it was easy, you already got away from it. It's not that easy. The first thing that's got to be done is you've got to wake up your conscience. See, you've already stayed long enough to turn it off. You've got to get it woke up. Somebody says, well, my conscience is bothering me. Good, then there's still hope, isn't there? You just need to do something about it. Somebody says, well, you know, I don't, I don't think about it too much anymore. Then you better run and not walk to get help. You see, our world is brought into the culture that there's nothing wrong with sin. It's just what everybody does. Everybody else is doing it. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. From one of your kids, probably. The Bible says your conscience can become seared with a hot iron. Just like those cattle brands. You can pitch that cow on the honey, and you'll never feel it. Never feel it. Paul said your conscience can become like that. In another place, he said your conscience can become past feeling. Past feeling. How are you going to get away from sin? Somebody says, well, well, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to get help. You know, I hear quite regularly around here, well, I'm afraid of the elders. That really bothers me. It bothers me a lot. Because I don't know why. 
You know, I've never known of one of our elders to ridicule or make fun or mock a member that had sin. It may happen sometime, but I never knew about it if it did. But I meet every month with a group of men that I know care about the people in this church. I don't think that'll ever happen. Why do people fear people who love you? What's the fear? What bad thing do they have that they want to do to you? Do you think that the elders don't know what sin is? Paul said in the book of Romans, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that all doesn't leave out anybody on the face of the earth, including elders. We deal with sin on a regular basis when people come to us. Yeah, we know what sin is. But we don't feel high and mighty or superior to anybody else here. Someone says, well, you know, I feel so ashamed. Good. Then there's still hope. People that don't feel shame for sin, they're in trouble. You need to let an elder or someone else of your choosing that can help you to get some more of God's Word in your heart and let the healing begin. That's how we get rid of sin. I'd like everybody here, there's Bibles in the pews, to turn over to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. That's why it's not reading right. I want to start in verse number 13. <clears throat> Van, do you have that open? What page is it? 1,084. Let's all read this together. Verse number 13. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing songs or psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he hath committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. 
The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sin. Someone says, can you explain all that? No. I'll just be real honest with you up front. I can't explain every bit of the statements there. But I'll tell you one of them I can explain. Let him call for the elders. You know, I've often wondered why God put that in the Bible. Nobody believes it. Who do you know that practices that regularly? Do we not believe it? Or are we just too lazy to do it? We really don't think that pertains to us. What's the problem? I understand this part of that verse. If you call, I can pray. I can understand that much of it. I'm going to ask a couple of questions and then I'm going to move on. Have you got enough faith to call an elder when you're struggling with sin? Or do you let fear cancel faith? If you have the faith to call an elder and you haven't, then y'all probably need to fire all of us. And get somebody you trust. Because we're not being very effective in carrying out what this verse says to do. That's all I'm going to say about that. I said earlier, if you want to have your sins washed away, and you have to do that if you want to go to heaven, then you need to do what God told you to do to wash away your sin in the precious blood of Jesus. In Acts 22 and verse 16, 
The guy that wrote most of the New Testament was bogged down in sin to his eyeballs. And he asked the preacher what he needed to do. And the preacher told him, he said, you need to rise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. And if you've never been baptized, you need to be. You need to study baptism enough you understand what's happening. Because what's happening is you're going through a form of Jesus' death, His burial when you go into the water, and a rising up to a new life. Because that's where Jesus' blood takes away our sin. That's why Paul said in Romans 6 about baptism being then, right then, made free from sin. And in verse 7, he said that's when you're justified. Not by the water, not by the preacher, not by the crowd, by the blood of Jesus. That's what Paul did to become a Christian. If you're here this morning and you're a, you're a Christian, but some of these verses this morning have pricked your conscience. Let me tell you what John wrote and said to Christians. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, these things write I unto you. He's writing to Christians, to children of God. And we back up right before that. Verse number 8 of chapter 1 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you tell yourself this morning, I don't have any sin, are you really going to be convinced of that? I don't know. He said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And in verse number 6, He says, no, it's 7, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all Sin. I want you to notice the pronouns there. We, we, we. We're talking about an apostle that lived and walked with Jesus. And he included himself in this. And he said, if we say we never sin, we're just kidding ourselves. And we're not being truthful about it. Someone says, well, are you saying that, that everybody's got to go to the front of the building? No, I'm not saying that. There's nothing here that says that. But I am saying this. If you can't shake your sin on your own, you need to get help as we stand and sing.